Hawks couldn't get it cleanly. It's going to be played out down the ice. And that one's going to bounce down, and that is going to do it. The UBC Thunderbirds with an upset for the ages as they knock off the number one seed, University of Alberta Golden Bears. And the T-Birds are going to the national tournament. Unbelievable. Welcome back to the show for another week of the What's Up With You podcast. I'm Ben Steiner alongside Justin Levine once again. And wow, do we have a good show for you today. After this, we'll get into some chatting about the U-Sports Athlete of the Year. A lot of top-notch athletes from across the country up for that big award in the coming week. Then we'll get into a conversation with Rachel Dory of the York Lions, Director of Advanced Performance. Justin and I spoke to her yesterday. And then, of course, always, we're going to finish with the cross-country skate and other news from around U-Sports, coast-to-coast, specifically in men's hockey. So, Justin, how are you doing? Not bad, thanks. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I mean... There's not much happening around. Uh, things have, I guess, started to reopen. Um, I don't really know what Ontario is up to, but I know in BC we only had two new cases on the day we're recording. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, pretty good because in Ontario we're looking at another 300-some-odd cases today, which is slightly unfortunate given how how well we were doing last week. So, you know, taking in the strides and um, hope for the best. Have you been doing anything uh, to sort of keep busy over this last few weeks or last week, I guess? Uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of NWHL coverage with the new team, uh, which I guess we might even end off talking just a little bit about. So that's been uh, certainly keeping me busy um, and seeing uh, some OHL commitments uh, continuing across youth sports. So, you know, uh, while there's no sports going on, this is certainly something close to it, at least to keep busy. Yeah, definitely. That uh, new Toronto NWHL team, that's a pretty big deal as uh, they're calling themselves the Toronto Six. And they, I would say, have a pretty cool color scheme and logo to an extent. Um, but we're here to talk about U-Sports. We're not here to talk about the NWHL too much. Uh, and for U-Sports, it's a big week coming up. They're selecting the Athlete of the Year. And so I figured, okay, we're U-Sports guys. Let's go through the Athlete of the Year nominees and pick one. So we'll go for you, the listener, we'll go through uh, who our nominees are and who they are and kind of why we think we... Uh, who we think could win in each category. Uh, so I'll start off. Um, so Taryn Cozen, uh, men's hockey goaltender for the Saskatchewan Huskies. He stole the show in Canada West uh, for the Huskies as they went on to win the championship. He stopped over 50 shots a game throughout that series, almost as good as Ryland Toth of UBC did against Alberta in the series before. And in front of a raucous crowd at Merlis Belcher Place in Saskatoon, 
it was definitely a good year for Taron Kozin. And he was not only named the Rookie of the Year, but also the Hockey Player of the Year and the Athlete of the Year in Canada West uh, for the men. So definitely quite the achievement for them. Justin, I know you have one that you want to bring up too. Absolutely. So on the other end of this is Kelsey Wog on the swim team at Manitoba. Now, uh, there's four gold medals to uh, to Wog's name, and that's at Nationals, and now has her her eyes set on the Olympic Games. So I think that that's a, you know, a huge achievement, and uh, that's you know as something she's striving for next. I think this speaks uh, a lot to the talent that she's brought and you know the accomplishments that she's been able to record. Yeah, and definitely at this point with the Olympics postponed and Olympic qualifications happening again, maybe this year will actually be good for Kelsey Wog and maybe she does find herself in Tokyo uh, 2021. David Thompson, he's uh, the men's nominee for the OUA. He stole the show for the Toronto Varsity Blues throughout the regular season. Uh, MVP for all Varsity Blues athletics, second highest scorer in all of U-Sports hockey, only behind Mikael Agard. Uh, who's now playing professionally in Sweden. And his through-the-legs goal that he scored against RMC earlier this year at at the Varsity Blues Arena was tweeted on Sportsnet. You don't see that happen much in U-Sports, so I would say it's a pretty cool accomplishment that uh, David Thompson at least got U-Sports on one of the biggest media outlets in the country. Absolutely. You really don't see that a lot. We've only seen it, you know, maybe in total three times just this year. Uh, another one was at the University of Waterloo, and I'm, I mean, while well, I can't remember what the third one was, again, it's rare, and so if you can find yourself with a, an accomplished, um, like, accomplishment like that for such a goal, I think that's huge. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. I know uh, one of the guys who actually runs the Sportsnet social media, it's uh, Alex Dedesi, and he has a bit of respect for U-Sports. He used to work for the Ryerson Rams, so he definitely is able to squeeze some U-Sports stuff in there every now and then. Uh, now, you also had two other guys uh, who you were thinking about, um, another OUA, and also starting off in the RSEQ. Yeah, so uh, first off, Lucia Stafford uh, from Toronto competed in the FISU Games last year and was also near the podium. Uh, as well, ha- Stafford has the potential to become the second ever track athlete to win this award. So that's, you know, again, another huge thing. And I mean, as we go through these accomplishments, you see just why these players are nominated for such an award. So, I mean, I think that speaks a lot to their talent and skill. So definitely to keep an eye on there. Another one. Yeah, definitely. Definitely with uh, just going back on Stafford a bit. You see someone who's competed at the FISU Games. It's basically a university Olympics is what it is. It's a university versus an Olympiad. And so she already has international training. She was near the best in the world for university athletes. So maybe like Kelsey Wag, who you spoke of before, she could actually make a chance at maybe even Tokyo. Right. And I mean, as we delve out from that one, we go into Abubakar Sissoko, uh, who plays soccer in Montreal. Now, uh, he's considered the big man who led the Montreal Carabin to the U-Sports final on home turf and earned himself a trial with the Vancouver Whitecaps of MLS. So, um, I mean, as someone who lives in Vancouver, I'll let you uh, talk a little bit further about that. Yeah, so I was actually up in Montreal uh, for that U-Sports National Championships, and Suzuko was stunning. He bullied people off the ball. He held the ball up real well when he got the chance. Just an all-round strong player, and I'm not surprised that the Whitecaps at least gave him a chance. Uh, of course, he didn't make it. A uh, few U-Sports players do make it onto an MLS roster, but definitely a good achievement for the young man out of the University of Montreal. Now, if we're staying in the RCQ, 
I don't think she's going to win, but Fabiola Forteza uh, from the Laval Rouge Tour rugby team uh, had a bounce back season this year. She was out all of 2018 due to mononucleosis, uh, uh, or as more commonly known as mono. Uh, and she did so well this year to actually earn herself some chances with some of the lower levels within Rugby Canada. So maybe she's the kind of person who, if we don't see her back at Laval next year, maybe we see her on the Olympic team for rugby because, you know, rugby sevens at least is in the Olympics and the Canadian women are quite strong in that. So definitely possible uh, to see a lot of these people in the Olympics, which I think is quite a statement on U-Sports itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, in U-Sports, a lot of them are players who are looking to establish their names um, in, you know, their sports respectively while still uh, participating in their studies. So I think it's huge to, you know, to see such an accomplishment uh, be made well at school. I think that that speaks very highly of, uh, you know, the coaches and trainers and, you know, the all-around support that's being provided. And another guy is uh, Kevin Viento. He stole the show for Dalhousie. I think stealing the show is a bit of a common phrase that we use for all these athletes because they were clearly some of the most valuable players on their teams. And, well, they stole the show. So Kevin Viento... He was amazing for Dalhousie, brought them almost to a national championship, beating the Carlton Ravens. Uh, they couldn't quite pull it off. I remember I was actually watching that game in my apartment back in Toronto, and my roommate uh, said, no way is Carlton coming back. And I said, you just watch. And uh, Carlton, of course, did what Carlton does, and uh, especially in basketball, and managed to come back in that game to win another national championship for another year in a row. But despite losing the final, he was named player of the game. And so it wasn't his fault that Dalhousie blew the lead. Um, and he was also the first Dalhousie player to win basketball MVP in the AUS. So I think there's a lot that's going his way if he's going to win this award. And I think uh, he might just be one of our picks uh, when we pick our players. So, Justin, there's another basketball player from the AUS. Who is that? Right. So as we wrap up, that last player is Jana May Ellsworth, uh, who plays basketball in PEI. Now... Jenna has earned every honor available to her so far this season. That includes MVP. She's got it. All Canadian? Mm-hmm. Got that too. She was a critical part of UPEI's underdog run in the U Sports Championship, especially with a gutsy win over the Ryerson Rams in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I know. I was watching that Ryerson game, and of course, uh, being a Ryerson student myself, I was hoping that Ryerson would win, but UPEI were exceptional. Uh, I know we had a reporter there, Casey Dulson. Uh, if you're listening, uh, thanks for being there and covering that for us. And he was astounded too that PEI was able to take down Ryerson. Uh, definitely quite the uh, upset there by the UPEI Panthers. So if we were to sort of pick who is going to be our guy to become the U Sports MVP for the year, uh, Justin, who are you selecting? All right. So for two reasons, I'm going to pick Kevin Viento. First of all, he was part of a storied run with the, the Dell Tigers and went into every game with the determination to play at his very best, which was obviously, you know, seen by those who took in those games. As such, as you mentioned, he won MVP and his talents and promise led him to being named player of the game uh, in the finals game, though they did again drop it to the Carlton Ra Ravens. And I think the fact that, you know, he helped lead the team to just, you know, so closely a near win over Carlton you know, that really stands out to me uh, because, I mean, you know, being able to make it to the championship, let alone, is amazing. So, you know, nearly winning it and him being a big part of that, that, that speaks volumes to me. 
So for me, it's actually going to be Kelsey Wog out of the University of Manitoba in Canada West. We spoke about her a bit before, but I've got to say like four medals and top times. Those are unbelievable. Like they, you can't match stuff like that. She's showed that she stacks up against some of the best in the world when she competed at the Pan Ams. And I'm totally confident she could have a real shot at qualifying for the Olympics, maybe even at next year's trials, because, you know, Canada didn't run their Olympic qualifications. So it's still open, even though the IOC said that they could keep qualified athletes. There's no qualified athletes yet in her sport. So I definitely see Kelsey Wog as a strong suit out of the University of Manitoba for the U Sports Athlete of the Year. Justin, you saw Key Van Viento. We'll have to wait until this award comes out next week, um, but it'll certainly be quite exciting to watch, uh, even though we won't see an award ceremony. So now we're going to get to sort of the feature of this episode. It's a talk with Rachel Dory, a director of advanced performance with the York Lions. We spoke for about 25 minutes, and we've got that entire interview here. So uh, we'll be back on the other side and see you then. Now, welcoming to the podcast, it's Rachel Dory joining us. She's the Director of Advanced Performance with the York Lions out at York University. And what a year they just had with the women's team making it all the way to the Macaw Cup final. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. And how are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, happy to come on and chat about some university hockey. It's not often that someone wants to have me on a podcast to talk about university hockey. So I'm actually I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I think we're one of maybe two U Sports podcasts out there. So it's pretty cool. That you're coming on our show today. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, U Sports gets a lot less exposure than something like the NCAA. So anything where um, you have kind of sport media students like yourselves that want to start something like this to, to get the league exposure, um, I think it's good. So, And we know you're a, a big Bayern Munich fan and the Bundesliga kicked off this week. How did you enjoy watching your team come back from COVID-19? Um, I'll be honest, like the last time I was this excited to watch Bayern play uh, was the 2013 Champions League final. And even like Saturday when Dortmund and Schalke played, I was planted on the couch from 9.30 a.m. until like 3.30 in the afternoon just watching because that derby was, it's probably the biggest rivalry in German uh, football. So that was a big one. But then when Sunday came, I basically, we kind of have a home theater at home, so I basically like closed everything down. I wore my one of my Bayern kits. I have my tracksuit, the flag, the scarf, the hat. So I was I was fully decked out, and uh, it was just it's so nice to be able to see probably the the team I love the most be able to play again. That's great. That must have been pretty good to watch your favorite team once again. You do seem like quite the Bayern Munich fan. Yeah, I mean, I think I have. Well, I was talking to. Uh, to somebody about this, I think I have 11 Bayern Munich kits, which is a lot. And every single one of them is a different player, except I have multiple of Schweinsteiger. Um, but other than that, yeah, I try and uh, switch it up. So getting into the hockey questions, you just finished up your first year. How did you enjoy your first season with the Lions? To be honest, it was such a nice change of pace um, from the hustle and bustle of the NHL. Um it was like, I really enjoyed it because you meet people that you work with on a daily basis. You have a, a much better relationship with the players because let's face it, like I'm pretty much their age. And so you build friendships off the ice as well. Um, I learned a lot in terms of the league and, and how eye opening it was. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Like the I, one of the things I find, and I don't know if this is across U sports, but definitely at York. Um, Ross Harrington, Dan Church, 
they really care about their players. There, it's There's a lot of stuff that happens off ice that they go above and beyond for their players that I just don't know about other coaches doing. So they were they were invested. And obviously, like, the men didn't get the bounces. Um, and we can get into the numbers maybe a little bit later. But uh, the women had just a, such a great season. And it was so much fun to be a part of. Um, so just being able to build those relationships, was, it was a ton of fun. And I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to to getting going, hopefully, if this virus goes away. Yeah, definitely. Everybody is hoping that we're going to get a season and just get rid of this virus that has totally changed our lives. So you worked at Nipissing as well. What's the lifestyle change from Nipissing to working at York? Sort of what's different? Um, so I would say, first of all, at Nipissing, um, I was with the women's team only. And that's just because Darren Turcott and I know each other um, through hockey. So he just kind of said, hey, like, I'm kind of looking for someone that does what you do. Like, can you do it? It was all remote because obviously Nipissing's in North Bay. I do not live there. Um, so that was, um, it was different from that perspective because everything was remote. From a tracking perspective, um, Turk told me what to track. This is what I want. This is the sheet. Like, these are the things. And then we would talk about it, things that we would see. And then I would do obviously some video stuff for him. Um, there was less interactions with the players at NIP just because I wasn't there. Um, but I had such a good relationship with Darren Turcott. I still speak with him quite often. Um, whereas at York, anyone who was kind of around the rink, I was on the ice for practice every single day. I ran the skill sessions with Danny Nikandroff in the morning. Um, and that was twice a week. And it, it was much more hands-on. Like I pretty much lived at the rink to the point where the Pizzaville people knew me by name. So when they have your pizza ready and they flag you down and tell you like, hey, it's fresh, we saved a piece for you, you're probably there too much. So that I would say it's a little different. Are there anything specific that people have sort of done to help? Um, I would say so I'm pretty vocal about like my mental health per se. And when I was struggling in December, they both kind of said, hey, like, what can we do to help? And I just kind of said, like, I don't know. And they did a great job of giving me access to the resources that the athletes had in terms of just like mental health help and places, uh, people I could talk to that were affiliated with the school so that I could kind of get some help. And um, from that perspective, I really appreciated it. And then as far as the players are concerned, like we had one, one guy on the team, his grandmother passed away. I think it was like on the Thursday and we were due to play on the Friday. And he was like, he came to me and he's like, I don't know if I can play. And but I don't want to like lose my spot in the lineup kind of thing. And I said to him, as someone who's been very public about losing a grandparent, um, I said, don't worry about it. Like, we'll go talk to Russ. And Russ basically was like, you're not playing. And if you need anything from us, you let us know. And so we, Russ and Dan both do a very good job of making sure that their players are in a really good headspace on and off the ice. How is school? How are your roommates? Like, if something's happening with a roommate, we will do whatever we can to extricate that person from that situation just to make sure that they feel comfortable. Because a lot of these guys are moving away from home and same with the girls. And so you want to make sure that they're comfortable. And I think that Russ and Dan just do an absolutely terrific job of that. Are there any proud moments that really stand out from this past year to you? There's definitely, mm, there's a couple that stand out. Um, I think there's a pretty obvious one. Uh, so we'll start there. Um the women's team going on that insane playoff run where they like the girls deserve pretty much all the credit. Like they dismantled some really good teams. They took the game plan that we had set out for them. Cause we did 
a lot of research and a lot of preparation to to go on the run that we did um but credit to them they took that game plan and they grabbed it by the horns and just executed it to perfection um and so that was a really proud moment for me to just kind of be a part of that and behind the scenes how they rallied around each other and how they supported each other and everyone was a part of it everyone played an equal part even when we lost doobie to injury it was like nope don't worry like we got this it's fine um on the men's side probably two um brandon yemen scoring his his first goal was a big one because he happened to do it on something that we had been practicing all year and a lot of people don't know this but yemen's was one of the players that him and I and Danny had a really good relationship in terms of working on his development. So seeing him cement his spot in the lineup and play really well was, it was just so satisfying. And then the other one was Pete DeCopy. And um, we just worked all year. He was there all the time asking all the questions, um, completely changed a few things about his game and he was able to turn pro. And I wasn't there for seniors night and, and it sucked. But he scored on a a goal that we had been working on all year, and I could just see the relief in his face on the video, and um, so that was that was a pretty cool moment. Are there any players that really got better with the stuff you were tracking, and sort of what's your idea when you're trying to help a player? So with Pete, um, he's got I would say in terms of release, probably one of the best in the entire league. Uh, when I obviously it's no secret I have worked with pro players his release is up there with theirs it is elite and so he wasn't scoring and so I had to do a full shot evaluation I had to figure out why and once we did that we adjusted a few things and he started being more accurate he started getting himself in better spots so what my approach is I look at how the player plays um what frequency do they do things and if they do things a lot how successful are they and if they aren't successful okay so we need to change that I don't just try and make everyone into a single mold player um so we would work on things like shooting um with Yemen's we worked on puck protection and ways he could use his speed um with Jeremy Lucini we worked on how he could man the blue line better to create more opportunities for himself and other players so it's it's very player dependent so what are the metrics that you track and how did these help? Okay, so without giving too much away, because I don't just want people listening and going, huh, we're just going to do all this stuff. Um, we track everything game score related. So if anybody knows who Dom Luce-Chishin is, he writes for The Athletic. Um, he gives a breakdown of what kind of goes into game score. We track that, but I've adjusted the numbers to sort of go more with U sports. Um, so different things are, have a higher or lower correlation to value. Um Anything to do with the blue line, so entries and exits, um, that's on an individual basis. And then, of course, you track scoring chances. But what I do is I track, so those are the obvious things. Uh, I track a bunch of things um, and the people that that help me track. And we use those to create models. So whether we're creating models for teams or, or models for individual player success rates, um, and that's sort of how we evaluate. Um, but it's I would say it's, it's changed how we evaluate our teams. So before there wasn't really any numbers associated with it. It's just a feel. So Russ or Dan would say, okay, this player, a three kind of thing, but it was very subjective. Whereas, um, the, the Dan still did that, uh, this year and he's a huge believer in that. And I really appreciate how he evaluates players. Russ completely wiped that out. So now it was, 
okay, this is how Jesse thinks they played. This is how Danny thinks they played. This is how Russ thinks they played. This is how Rachel thinks they played. But then this is how the numbers say they played. So it's an unbiased kind of opinion. And it allowed us to diagnose things that were and were not happening that were related to our success. So it was more of a process-oriented situation and it allowed us to kind of say, okay, this is what's working, this is what's not. And in a season that we had with like the men, um, it was crucial. Whereas with the women, it was, okay, so when we do this, we don't lose. And so it allowed us to paint full targets to say, okay, we need to have x amount of scoring chances where we and we need to be successful this amount we need to not allow this amount of zone entries and so it gave us full targets that were trackable and then we could relate them to success so it really helped um both teams see where they were falling and where they were succeeding and of all the things that you track what do you think is the most important metric i think in u sports because you have to do everything manually unless you're mcgill um, it's very difficult to be picky. I think game score sort of encapsulates everything. It'll tell you how the individual is playing. Um, but for me, if, if I'm picking one thing, um, it's probably scoring chances, both individual and as a team, because if you have more scoring chances, odds are you win that game, unless your goalie kind of decides that they don't want to play that night, um, which has happened. But I think that scoring chances are, are super impactful because we can say to a player who thinks, oh, I'm playing so well. And it's like, well, you've had two scoring chances in the last five games. Like, what are you talking about? Or vice versa as a defenseman, you've been on for 10 scoring chances in the last two games. Like, that's not good enough kind of thing. So it really helps us from that perspective. We can, when we go into meetings with players who are asking various questions, we can say, okay, so here's what we're seeing. Also, here are the numbers. Is there anything that sort of makes the OUA unique or something that players need to be very good at? Um, I think this might go for every player, or at least every skater. Um, there's so many different ice sizes. So like in the OUA, you have U of T that plays on a, basically a postage stamp. You have us who plays on Olympic ice. You have, I think Guelph plays on Olympic ice. You Like you have various size of rinks. So I think with the... Um, you've got to be able to read that and have really good gap control because you're not going to have the same gap on an Olympic ice surface that you would on U of T's because it's, there's just not enough room to do that, right? Whereas on an Olympic ice surface, you have to have more respect. And I don't mind if they're on the outside and you're keeping them there, whereas at U of T, you had better be attacking and closing at the blue line and there better be some physicality associated with that. So it's it's sort of, you've got to be able to read the markings on the ice and where you are and adjust your gap appropriately because if you do not have a good gap in this league players like Mikhail Agard and Matt Mistelay both have gone on to to play pro next year um they will absolutely kill you with the different ice sizes do you adjust sort of your tactics going into each game or are they pretty uniform for all the ice sizes um we'll adjust a little bit so like with forwards um, I think a big thing in U sports, if you don't have it, you're not going to be successful is you've got to be able to identify space and know how to use it. Um, so when we're playing at home versus when we're playing at Windsor or U of T, we will do things a little bit differently. Um, I'm not going to expect you to have all that space in the middle of the ice at U of T. 
I'm also going to be expecting that you're shooting from the blue line at U of T because it's basically, I think I measured it and their blue line is where our like ringette line would be. So we're basically anywhere at U of T would be our slot at York. So I don't mind if we're firing shots from the point at U of T or at Windsor because you're ba that would be like firing a, a shot from the middle of the ice at York, right? So it's, it's kind of one of those things. Whereas if you start taking shots from the boards at York, I'm not going to be very happy with you. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So if you were to sort of compare U Sports, the level of play to a league, maybe a pro league around the world, what would you choose and which league? I think there's probably three. If you want a North American league, probably the SPHL. Um, however, I think there's better comparables. I think the Dell 2 or the NLB, so the second league in Germany, the second league in Switzerland, but then also um, the second league in Russia, which I believe is the MHL. Um, it's either the MHL or the VHL. And I think they're similar in the fact that um, the skill players, so your A-guards, your Mistelays, uh, Santos, Mancuric, like those guys stand out and they're able to have a huge impact on the game. And then you have your guys that aren't as impactful and and they don't play as much, but you could play. But the big difference is in U sports that they don't have really anywhere else is the different ice sizes. To me, I personally, I can't stand it. I think it's terrible. It's like soccer, right? Where like every field is a different size. Okay, well, that's soccer. That's the norm worldwide. But it's also the availability of facilities. I would say the only reason I say MHL is because, um, A, there's like a ton of skilled players, but then there's some not so skilled players. And the officiating in the MHL is um, not great. And that's a similarity with U Sports as well. You mentioned the officiating, and I know you were pretty outspoken about that all year round. Is there sort of one game or some bad calls that sort of stand out to you? Um, well, I would say the OUA final game, the Macaw Cup final, probably, where I don't know why I was watching the official, but I was. I used to be an official, so it's something that I am critical of and probably have a better leg to stand on than some other people. I happen to be watching the official, and the official who waved off the tying goal in the Macaw Cup final was not even watching the play. So I look at it from the perspective of how on earth did you wave off that goal if you were not even looking? And second of all, you're behind the line, like you're the goal judge on that play. Why were you not looking at that? So for me, if you just look at the Macaw Cup final, that is an exhibition in OUA officiating. And then the second one that comes to mind is the men's second last game at Ryerson. And I have the screenshot on my phone. The game winning goal was four and a half feet offside. And I have the screen grab. And it, it was so bad, the linesman knew he had screwed up that he was laughing with Johnny Duco about it. That's how bad it was. It was four feet offside, and everyone in the rink knew that it was offside, including the Ryerson bench. It was a complete joke, and it like you could tell our guys just, they were like, all right, we're gonna give up after that. So when you look at how the OUA is officiated, whether it's and this is both sides, like the women's side. You could see me tear my hair out on the camera feed. Whether it's consistency or communication, 
or not watching the play. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, how are you going to tell Dan Church, who is an Olymp, like a former Olympic head coach, that he's in, like, he doesn't know what he's talking about or like he's in the wrong. Odds are Dan Church's probably right. So I just think that the way that uh, the games get handled and, and, and officiated uh, are not the best. Um, but the head of officiating for the OUA is, I believe it's Jackie Palm. And she's a terrific official. So I'm thinking that she probably is going to have some things to say to her officials. Yeah, I remember, I don't know if it was that game or maybe another one, but I was in the kind of broadcast center doing the broadcast for the Ryerson game. And like a referee evaluator, might have been Jackie Palm, uh, walked in to take a look at our replays because we have our full professional setup. Right. And there was definitely a bit of a smirk she had. Um, you could definitely see what was going through her mind. She didn't say it outright, um, but I think she definitely doubted the call on the floor. That was probably Jackie. Yeah. I've known, so bit of a fun story. My little brother and Jackie's son um, played hockey together growing up. So I've known Jackie for a while. She's always been of the opinion that like you let the officials officiate. And the only time I've ever heard her uh, call things out or be vocal is when it is truly horrendous. And I looked over at her in the McCall Cup final and you could tell by the look on her face that she was not happy. So it's one of those things where she, I've seen her officiate. She's an absolutely terrific official. And so I would have to think that she's going to do everything she can to make sure that these officials aren't making the games about them because uh, there are some individuals on the men's side that have a habit of doing that. And that's why they're in the OUA and no longer in the OHL. So are there any players that really took to your stuff really well this season and had a big improvement on the ice? Um, I think that there's a few on both teams. Uh, Pete DeCopy, you can't really argue that. He went from a guy who, um, I think he was scratched one game early in the season. He was kind of playing on the fourth line and he ended up with a pro contract and he was, I, he led the team in shots on goal and he ended up playing on the power play for a good chunk of time. Like, you could really see the change in how he played, both on and off the puck. Um, Brandon Yemen's another one. Jeremy Lucini. Morgan Messenger saw a big-time improvement, and he led the team in goals this year. So I think that that's probably in no small part to how much work he put in with Danny and I. And then on the women's side, um, this is not going to surprise anyone, but Kelsey McComb and Courtney Gardner, um, they both, not only did they implement, but had success with some of the tips. And I did, I had to do a lot less work with them because you, when you coach women, it's a different way. Like you tell them something, they take it verbatim and they do that exact thing. So I would tell them, okay, do this. And then they would do it almost to a fault. So we'd have to like reel it back a bit. Whereas the guys, you just have to continually prod them and oh my goodness, please keep doing this and whatever. So Courtney and Kelsey, uh, Kara Washer actually as well, um, they implemented things that, that really helped them succeed this year. And if you look at the years that they both had and you look at Courtney in the playoffs, I mean, it's pretty hard to argue against. You've brought in a lot of recruits, including Kyle Gordon. Why did he stand out from all the Lethbridge players? Um. So... I actually really like Kyle Gordon. I liked a few players on Lethbridge. I think York, from what I understand, was recruiting Luke Coleman last year. So obviously, 
who doesn't like Luke Coleman in U Sports? Like he's a really good hockey player. But as far as Kyle Gordon's concerned, he plays like he could play up and down the lineup. He's really smart. Like he identifies plays and he makes them. There's no waiting. There's no making an extra stride or stick handle. He just makes the simple plays when he sees them. And that's something I really like. And then the other thing is um, York lost a couple good penalty killers uh, this past year graduating. And I don't know if anyone's seen Kyle Gordon on the penalty kill, but for my money, he is like really good. I would not be surprised if Kyle Gordon was first over the boards on the York penalty kill next year. Definitely sounds like a good addition. Now we've got some fun questions for you. Justin's going to ask first. Justin, how about you go? So to start off, do you like tea or hot chocolate? Hot chocolate. What was your favorite memory from York this year? Um, the pizza, the first time the pizza lady called my name and told me that she'd saved a fresh slice of pepperoni for me. What's been your favorite TV show that you've watched this quarantine? Lucifer. Not too hot to handle. I actually watched that show with Justin a bit over the break. Oh my God. That show was a train wreck. It's such a good show though. It's so ridiculous. So back to you sports. If you had to pick your favorite you sports team name, what would it be? Oh, problem is I don't really know a lot. Um, I'm going to have to say the Lions. I think our logo is the best. That I don't think is a competition. Yeah, I love the logo. You just have to get it on the site you work for, Elite Prospects. Yeah, they don't have, I guess the school hasn't sent them like the official thing yet. I don't know. And I don't have it, so I can't do it. That pretty well wraps up this segment and the interview with Rachel Dory. So Rachel, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, definitely have you on in the future because you provide some really great insight to U-Sports and especially the York Lions. Yeah, I'm I'm super happy to come back on. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Certainly a pretty good conversation we had with Rachel Dory. Uh, I think you could agree, Justin. She's a pretty cool person, and it's cool that such a person is in new sports. Absolutely. She was a joy to talk to. She's very knowledgeable having come from an OHL background. She worked in the NHL with the New Jersey Devils. Um, I mean... There's just so much insight in seeing the work that she's done with the York Lions this year and learning, you know, more in-depthly about it. I mean, she was incredibly enjoyable. And, I mean, I think we can both say we were thrilled to have her on. Yeah, definitely a lot of good recruits coming to York University as well, in part because Rachel is there. So, speaking of recruits, there's been a bit of less news this week, but still news nonetheless. So, we're going to start off with the Ottawa Gigi's in the cross-country skate. So what have the GGs done in this last week, and sort of why is it significant? All right, so they brought in three players on the men's side, uh, which were, and they were the Queen's Cup runner-ups, uh, having signed professionally in France. Uh, they also brought in six players to the men's team. So I think that, you know, again, they were a team whose roster was ultimately uh, defeated with players going elsewhere, and so having to bring in another, you know, whole new handful of players, I think that's going to obviously take some time but you know nonetheless solid yeah it'll help uh bringing in a lot of players of course they had a lot of guys graduate after shutting down their program and having to bring in a whole new team but they've also had three players who were on the queen's cup runners up uh this year that have signed professionally in france um even though the french league might not be sort of the top league and of course rachel spoke about how U-Sports can sort of be equivalent to the German second division. The French league is still playing professionally. That's quite an achievement to have three players go that way. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you can send players, you know, whether it be overseas or just to other spots where they can, you know, continue in hockey and in a pro manner, I think that, you know, that speaks 
hugely of, you know, what, what they were provided at school to be able to continue. So, um, you know, big thing for Ottawa there. Yeah, definitely great for that program, especially where they were five years ago uh, with nothing happening and having to shut down the program. So certainly a big achievement winning the silver medal and also uh, they would have had a spot at nationals as well. So on the women's team, there's a coaching change, plus uh, maybe a bit of a new rivalry brewing in U-Sports. you want to bring us through that? Sure. So the team brought in Chelsea Grills, who is taking over as the women's hockey head coach. Uh, she was a player in the NCAA and also has some coaching experience there as well. Uh, Jessica Kulias has committed from the PWHL, and that makes for a bit of a rivalry as sister Jacqueline has committed to the Guelph Griffins. Then, then are the daughters of any sorry? They are the daughters of uh, NHL on Sirius Radio host Steve Coolius. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that we're getting uh, someone like Steve Coolius have his daughters go to U Sports schools rather than sort of forcing them to the NCAA. Uh, because I know he does live in the states now, and of course, whenever you have sisters anywhere in U Sports on two different teams, you're going to get a bit of a rivalry. So we don't know if they're going to be playing against each other this year, but definitely sometime. In the next four years, we'll see a Coolius rivalry go head-to-head. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be uh, now really enjoyable to see in the future. So, um, you know, a really good day on that end of things. Also going to the GGs is from the NCAA, Samantha Bully. Uh, she played three years with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, I know one of our keen followers is Ann Tukarski, who covers the Buckeyes uh, out of Ohio State University. What does it mean to bring in such a big player from the NCAA into a U-sports women's hockey program oh it's huge anytime you can bring a player in from uh ncaa to U sports uh where they're coming from you know a more some might say a more professional background uh and one of more experience as well i think that you know that plays a huge role into you know not only again uh experience but leadership as well and how to you know rally around a team uh and make those dreams you know a reality so i think that that's going to be huge and again like you said and Tukarski is one who covers uh ohio state and another one is allison lucan from the athletic who i'm sure will have something on this in the coming days yeah definitely a good addition there but she's not the only ncaa addition heading north alexandra calderon is heading from the ncaa boston university up to concordia university she's joining the stingers uh, who were already a fairly strong women's team and her sister's also heading south so another great NCAA addition heading to U Sports on the women's side. If we're going over to me- the men's side, Laurentian had quite the week. We already knew about some of the people that they brought in, but they've br- added eight new players. So Alex Plamondon, David Perot, Charles Farmer, Alex Rondeau, Renat Dadajnov, Caleb Sayre. That's a lot of good guys, eh? Yeah, I think they brought in a really solid group so far. For starters, they brought in Caleb Sear from the NOJHL. He played four years in the league with the Blind River Beavers, and he is known as an offensive machine, and here is why that is. He played in 55 games this past season where he scored 47 goals and 66 assists, this making up for a total of 113 points. So I think this is going to be an absolute, you know, solution for uh Laurentian who kind of struggled this past season and so having uh an offensive leader and scorer like this you know you can do better simply said yeah definitely Laurentian didn't have the season that they wanted to this year they have some of the better jerseys with their white hoop around a navy jersey but adding a guy who's known for scoring like Caleb Sear is definitely a good addition it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts from the NOJHL which is a significantly lower level of play and with younger players than U Sports is so another guy I know you wanted to focus on was from the QMJHL, Renat Dadajnov, uh, one of the international players, actually, a, rare, a rarity in U-sports, heading to the Laurentian Voyageurs. 
Yeah, so he played uh, with the QMJHL, with Sh uh, Shawinigan and Valdeor. And this past season, if you look at uh, his numbers, they're not overly fantastic. He's, you know, he's stronger defensively, but his offense is something that he's trying to pick up. And, you know, a different scenery is good for players like this. So, you know, coming to youth sports might help that. So as we look at those numbers, it's six goals, 29 assists. For 35 total points as well he brings a, a plus 28 plus minus rating and he has 53 penalty minutes to round out his numbers from last season so just something to keep in mind um again as they bring in an international player an international player with domestic experience so definitely a good add and you see a plus minus rating of plus 28 sort of signifies that he is responsible defensively something that the voyagers will want this year maybe letting players like caleb sayer do some of the scoring also in u sports we have some stuff coming out of the West, and of course the Lethbridge Pronghorns, all their players are sort of dispersing. We spoke about Kyle Gordon earlier in the episode with Rachel, but there are also a couple players, Taylor Fisher and Josh Bjornek, leaving their teams, or leaving the Lethbridge Pronghorns to join new U.S. sports teams. So who are they joining? So according to Victor Finley, Taylor Fisher plans to join the Regina Cougars men's hockey team for 2020-21. So he spent three years at the Pronghorns, um, and so this will be, you know, not much of an adjustment because he's not exactly going terribly far, but I think this was a good pickup. A good pickup and definitely a player wanting to continue his hockey career, um, and that's exactly what he'll be doing with the Regina Cougars uh, men's hockey program. Definitely not one of the stronger programs, but he'll slot into that program pretty easily. Another one of these players is Josh Borinek. So what is he bringing to the Trinity Western Spartans? All right, so Borinek is a forward, and he is off to the Trinity Western, uh, where he will join their men's hockey program for 2020-2021. If you look at what he's done, uh, let's take a look back at uh, his time at the Melville Millionaires in 2018-2019, you know, where he played 21 games, or sorry, this being before he played 21 games in his rookie season for Lethbridge. This is uh, another, again, solid pickup, and with Lethbridge under difficult circumstances having to disperse all their players, I think that, you know, none of these players are going particularly far, and both have the abilities to help out their new teams. Yeah, and definitely he's going to a Trinity Western team uh, who is entering U Sports for the first time next year, so bringing in a guy like that who already has some U Sports experience is a fantastic add to the Langley Bay School. Um, another guy in the OUA, so on the eastern side of Canada, is Bailey Birkin from the Sioux Greyhounds, uh, heading to the Ryerson Rams. What's he bringing to the Rams? And it's a bit strange because now the Rams have four goalies. Yeah, so this is a weird situation. You don't really see this a whole often. But as the Rams uh, lose Taylor Dupuy, who just graduated, Birkin now fills his shoes in one sense per se, but he joins Garrett Forrest and Troy Timpano amongst them. So, you know, he came from Kingston to Sioux. He did a solid job. He didn't stay for long, but he certainly made it worth and uh, helped his team finish out what was a, what I'd describe as a just, you know, just above average solid season. So I think with the Ryzen Rams, he has the ability to help push them back into a playoff spot. But of course, this depends on the playing time, which I'm sure will be sorted out um, come training camp, if that is something that they get to do with, you know, with restrictions of COVID-19 uh, lifted by, let's say, mid-August or whatever it might be. Yeah, definitely a little strange. I don't know if we're going to see it uh, lifted by lift, uh, late August if we play hockey at all. 
But with Bailey Birkin heading to the Rams, they've now got Max Shields and then also the two goalies who are already there to speak of. So who's going to be sitting? I hate to say it for someone who's been a part of the team for a while, but I am going to say it's going to be Troy Timpano. I think that they're going to let Max Shields have some time coming over from York University to join the Rams. I think that uh, bringing Birkin in, you don't just bring in a player to just have him sit. So I certainly don't see Birkin being that guy, especially because as well, like I said, Birkin uh, led the Greyhounds to finishing off just, uh, a, you know, a slightly over average season, uh, which is exactly what they needed and brings stability. So I think that, that he's going to be an important piece. So you don't let a guy like that sit. Yeah, definitely a good add by the Ryerson Rams. If Tim Pano is not playing, maybe he will be uh, the Leafs e-bug for the Maple Leafs e-bug for this year. Um, because I know he was there a number of times, just not there on that fateful night when the arena manager of the Madame Athletic Center, David Ayers, had to go in net for the Carolina Hurricanes. That's really all we've got for the cross-country skate, but there's a few news and notes around eSports that I just want to touch on briefly. Uh, so there was the revised schedule, and then I had a bit of an idea about how field hockey could work. That article is available on 49-sport.com if you're curious a bit more about how field hockey could be one of the few U-sport sports that could work even if students are not on campus. There was also a Globe and Mail article a couple days ago, uh, Justin, I know you read it as well, uh, about isolated dorms for at least football. And so almost like a student-athlete village for just football players and then be able to play football? but do school effectively remotely. Yeah, I think this is, you know, this kind of causes a messy situation because, you know, if one sport's allowed to do it, there's going to be, you know, a lot of question being raised as to why can't we do this and, you know, how to make that possible. And, you know, with student housing or even if it's not student housing and just becoming a, you know, youth sports family sports village, I think that drives into the more difficult circumstances of, you know, youth sports um, and what they're, abilities are to do, whether that be AUS, OUA, etc. So, um, you know, I don't know that this can be played out exactly as written, but um, interesting that it's been considered. Uh, and not, not only that, but written about publicly in the Globe Mail as eSports continues to get uh, Canadian attention. Definitely an interesting idea to have these sort of isolated dorms. Honestly, I don't think it's going to happen. You and I both discussed if students aren't on campus, I really can't see a way that U Sports is going to go ahead with the season. Um, that's all we've really got for the show this week. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. We'll be back next week with more U Sports talk, as much as we can talk about without any sports, without any U Sports, but we'll definitely be back. Thanks for listening.